From Verge headquarters in Indianapolis, I'm Matt Hunkler with Powderkeg. Today we talk with an award-winning entrepreneur and actress about making the transition into the tech world, learning business lessons from Hollywood, and using data to make better decisions. One of the most difficult things about tech is making it human and compelling. <laughs> it means hard, right? I think that, you know, I started winning the hackathons not only because I started having better ideas and became more technical and more technically able, it was because I could tell a good story. That's Cooper Harris, CEO and founder of Clickly, which is an impulse buying platform that allows you to make purchases in your social streams and in emails. She has an impressive entrepreneurial track record, but also has an impressive career as an actress. It's a really cool story, and I was so intrigued, I had to get on a plane and travel out to the Clickly offices in Venice, California. And that's exactly where I got this behind-the-scenes interview with Cooper Harris. In this conversation, she shares her journey from the silver screen to the laptop screen, and she's sharing the lessons she learned while starting up in L.A. But she's also sharing some of her acting secrets that gave her a little bit of an edge in the tech world. All of that right here, just for you, on Powder Keg. Here's a great way to listen to Powder Keg on your commute, at the gym, or anytime you need a quick hit of inspiration. I've got just three words for you. Subscribe on iTunes. Yes, we are in the iTunes store and you can find us by searching for Powder Keg. That's Powder Keg, all one word. Or you can go to powderkeg.co slash iTunes, which will take you directly to all of our episodes. You can download or stream any of the conversations with people like Christian Anderson, who's a partner at High Alpha. Now, High Alpha is a venture studio that launched eight funded startups in its first year of operation. So Christian brings a ton of experience to that episode, and that's actually episode number one. You'll also get interviews with guys like Cole Hatter, who is a master connector. That's episode number three. He's an author, investor, speaker, and founder who pursued entrepreneurship out of desperation. And he pursued it out of desperation because he wanted to build something that was mission-driven. And he did that through business and his lifestyle, and he's impacted literally millions of people with that. Our Powder Keg people are finding us in iTunes and subscribing, which is awesome. And what's even more awesome is that you Powder Keggers are leaving us some killer reviews. So I want to give a massive shout out to Joe W. Indy. Here's what Joe had to say about Powder Keg in a review he left last week. And I quote, love it. Keep it up. I'm an entrepreneur and think this is very valuable and cool. End quote. Joe W., I just want you to know I think you're very valuable and cool. And I want you to know how much it means to me and to all of us here at Powder Keg. So I just wanted to take this moment to say thank you. And thanks to everyone else who has subscribed and left a review on iTunes. Super helpful for us, especially in these first couple of weeks on the iTunes store, because it helps boost our visibility amongst other podcasts, as well as makes sure our stories are reaching more people. So go ahead and go to powderkeg.co slash iTunes, and that's going to take you directly to where you can subscribe and leave a review. If you use another podcast platform, you can find us pretty much everywhere else, whether you use Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, SoundCloud, we pretty much got you covered. You can find all of those links and more, including show notes and a full transcript for every episode at powderkeg.co. You can also find more details on our site about the people and organizations who make Powder Keg possible. Now, on that note, I want to make sure I take a minute to thank our founding partner, Developer Town, for sponsoring this episode. 
Stay tuned after the main interview because we have a special bonus interview that has a brand new segment from an awesome conversation I had with Matthew Anderson. Now, if you don't know Matthew, he is a developer town client and a partner through his company, Mavenly. The thing I love about Matthew is that he has a unique approach to entrepreneurship as well as marketing. And this conversation is going to give you a glimpse into some of the innovative value that Developer Town brings to its clients. Developer Town, or DT as I often abbreviate it, works with clients ranging from first-time entrepreneurs to Fortune 100 companies. Now, this is for organizations that want to build and launch an app or a digital product. They've been really helpful for us here at Powder Keg with our podcast launch strategy. And they've even helped with some of our expansion into various cities where we host our live events under the Verge brand. So do yourself a favor and get in touch with DT at developertown.com slash powder keg. Our guest today is Cooper Harris, who not only has an impressive background, but has an impressive background in two different fields. She started her career in New York, where she landed a part in the soap opera As the World Turns. Now, I don't know soap operas that well, but I've heard of As the World Turns, so that means it must be pretty famous as far as soap operas go. But the cool thing is she eventually moved to Los Angeles and stepped into the Hollywood scene. Now, after she appeared in a couple of movies and other TV shows, Harris became pretty interested in entrepreneurship, so she started attending hackathons. This is where the story gets really good. She went on to win the AT&T Hackathon in Los Angeles and then went to the first innovation and tech summit during the Sundance Film Festival called Collective. She's won several awards, including the UKTI Innovation Award, alongside Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas. And in February 2015, she started a company named Clickly, which is an impulse buying platform for those of us with very short attention spans. I'm raising my hand here in Powder Cake Studios. Her technology allows one-touch purchases across many social platforms, as well as in emails. You can learn more about her company at clickly.com. That's spelled K-L-I-C-K-L-Y. And you can reach her at Cooper Harris on Twitter. Now, here's the conversation I recorded at Clickly headquarters in Venice, California, with award-winning entrepreneur and actress Cooper Harris. You had a mother in the arts, yes. a father who is a serial entrepreneur, yeah. and how did you find your way out here to Venice from, you were born in the South, right? I was born in Atlanta, moved to North Carolina, and grew up wanting to be an actress. So that is what I did. And um, I'm very stubborn, so I pursue things diligently. And I went to Good for you. I went to boarding arts school in high school for acting. And All right, what went, was that like? It was really intense, actually. Uh-huh. They made you wear black leotards all day, every day. Oh, that's my jam. Oh my, oh my God, we were like identical. It was, it was actually got weird, everyone wearing black leotards, including the men, by the way. You could have done that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And then uh, they look like a crew of superheroes. We had like physical conditioning for that for the actor. Holy cow! And we had these black leotards on, all of us like doing these little moves. It probably looked something like I don't know the Hitler Youth or something terrible. <laughs> I don't even know. It was weird. Yikes! <laughs> yeah, yikes! But it was great yeah. training. It was very aggressive and very competitive. And then I went on to train in a conservatory also for acting. So, um, also very competitive. So it was funny because when I graduated, I was on As the World Turns and then an off-Broadway show. So it was like, you know, living kind of what I imagined, you know, was, was absolutely my dream. Sure. So it was really neat. And then I came to LA and continued doing that and never really did anything else. And 
I was pretty spoiled. <laughs> and I really enjoyed it for a time mm-hmm. and did, um, you know, TV and film and, and nothing. What do you like most about it? I don't know. I think, you know, my mom would probably be like, oh, you like playing dress up, which was not quite, but uh-huh. kind of that. Yeah. You know, it's fun. Absolutely. Playing dress up is great. I think like the storytelling element is really fun. I think a lot of, you know, you're, you're getting to like, like help people maybe imagine a different scenario in their lives or help people escape, but in the best sense of the word, like sure, maybe, sure. Like maybe kind of- enjoy some other alternative reality for a moment or, or something cool. And, and I liked, you know, those messages, you know, that you could impart, but also then I got really frustrated because if you spend time in entertainment, you know, yeah, some people are creating beautiful work and then some of it is just kind of trashy. All right. Talk to me about that. What was your least favorite part of? Oh, you know, because you can't be really picky or precious about it and high and mighty and righteous because you're, you're a starving artist at first when you're starting out and you know, would you rather work or would you rather be picky and like being, you know, a waiter? Nothing wrong with that, but that is a choice sometimes you have to make. So I always mostly chose to work. And so, you know, my first film, I was very, very confused about it because I thought it was a very legitimate film and I treated it as such. And then it came out and it, I mean, it's it's an amazing and hilarious film, but it's Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Oh my gosh. By the way, had a blast on this film, but I didn't quite understand the genre when I first was in it. I was was like, okay, this is very serious and very intense. And, and it, was it while you were filming it? Yeah, you know, no, it was actually a lot of fun. But it, it's That's a great. genre piece, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I, I didn't quite have that sense. I haven't really <laughs> dived into the uh oh, just the, wait. the mega shark you genre. Yeah. It was the number one downloaded trailer two thousand ten. Oh my gosh. I'm just saying. Wow. John McHale was very impressed with it. You you should watch him cover it on the okay. suit. Okay, I'll have to check it out. <laughs> Slight bit of facetiousness there. But it was it was actually a great experience right. and I had a it was a joy working with those people, but I guess you know, just there's varying degrees of projects that you'll do. And uh, eventually I ended up being a little bit bored and unfulfilled because I didn't feel like there's anything I could like, like fully engaged me. Mm-hmm. You know, when I talk about the training we did, I mean, it was incredibly intense. You know, we're, we're learning to like wield broadswords and like I can fence. I am certified in what? knife fighting. Knife Why fighting. are we not spending our time Rapier and dagger, uh, facing you know, fencing lessons? Like unarmed grappling, fencing, all these things, riding awesome. a horse, you know, 16th century decorum and how you bow in court because, you know, I'm going to do films that require all of that. And I never did. Uh-huh. And it just, it just left so much to be desired, you know, the content that I was creating. And there's nothing wrong with daytime TV. And that's what I ended up on, you know, most recently or right before kind of my exit out of entertainment but the daytime stuff was uh, incredibly difficult in its own way but I felt like I just had maybe different skills to employ sure if that makes sense so I just wasn't fully engaged and I wanted to wanted to be and I found hackathons and I was like it is so random I know but I, I you're fa- gonna have to maybe be <laughs> a little more specific because I'm guessing was, you were in like your movie trailer and like, oh, I see a flyer for a hackathon. No, it was an email. Was it really? It was an email. Okay. <laughs> and yes, I was. So it kind of was. It was. I was like, you know what? This looks really cool. I was dating kind of an, an angel investor, finance guy at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was exposed to, you know, the guys at like Warby Parker and Bonobos. And I was like, you know what? This whole entrepreneurship thing is really cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I could do that. You know, those funny first moments. Of, sure. Oh, I want to try. But then I actually thought the technical side of it was very interesting. I um, had grown up with a lot of the digital 
stuff happening. You do it right on the crest of the digital wave. And a lot of my friends were, you know, becoming these YouTube sensations. And I was interested in that, but more interested in the actual technology behind it. I was like, I could try a hackathon. That sounds fun. So I went, took myself to a hackathon, showed up and everybody any coding, any coding skills when you first signed up? I was going to say absolutely not, but that's not true. Absolutely. I could definitely tweak my MySpace profile when I was in high school, <laughs> early high school. So some HTML skills? Oh, yeah. CSS. I could change that sucker pink. Wow. Maybe put some stars in there. Wow. I barely vividly Power user vaguely of MySpace. remember this. I, I think I had MySpace for a year. I don't even remember it. But I do remember changing, changing a color here or there. Sure. But what was fun was I showed up, and as weird as it was for me to be there in this room full of mostly pretty nerdy guys you know who'd be probably called nerdy like i was totally accepted i felt really special that's awesome (laughs) and i I got to really dig in and it was just this really cool experience nothing like i'd ever had before and you know at the end of the 48 hours and i didn't sleep at all i was like this is great at the end of the 48 hours we'd built a product that was pretty legit and i'd had a very significant chunk of it because i was the team leader Mm -hmm. and i thought heck I like this. This is very cool. This reminds me of like what my dad does plus what my mom does. And you know what I mean? It yeah. just felt right. So, um, so it was a com- was complete hooked. switch there. Like, like once you saw it, it you were there was, or did I you struggle intrigued. for a while? Okay. I was intrigued. I was like, this is very, very cool. But yeah, you know what I was trained in my whole entire career was acting. Oh, yeah? That was my career and my living, not just like a dream. It was actually how it I was going on. You were yeah. probably making good money doing it. Yeah. Well connected. Yes. Career on the rise. Yeah. Exactly. And so now to pivot, well, to use, right. to borrow a term from our right. industry exactly. now, exactly. Uh, the the pivot now. Yeah. That's a that's a big decision. It actually was, and it's funny because at the time I don't think I realized it was as big a deal as as I do now. I'm like, what was I thinking? You know, mm-hmm. to have worked so hard for this one thing, but it really was. I just I just realized it kind of in a moment, and it was there was a lot of clarity in realizing oh. This is very cool. It's so much more creative. It's so much more fulfilling. It's a way that I can kind of be creative and leave a mark that's more than just, you know, and and absolutely no offense to actresses or the entertainment industry, but it was trite. What I was doing was to some extent putting out there this message of femininity and women and just messaging that I don't buy into. Mm -hmm. I just don't. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it's cool tell women they have to look a certain way and scare them about what will happen if they don't and portray them in certain ways. And I'm not a militant person about all of this, but I just don't feel good about it. I don't want to be a part of it at all. And so I was really excited that tech for me was something I could control that was a very creative platform Yeah, that could happen very quickly. And so do you feel like that's a, a more level playing field f- for women than the acting realm? Yes, Infinitely. Infinitely. Okay. People do not know if I'm a man or a woman Mm -hmm. when I'm in technology until they see me. In fact, most of the time they think I'm a dude because my name's Cooper. So when I'm emailing... How was that growing up in the South? I know. I know. (laughs) I did. I don't mind it anymore. But... Seems to have worked out for you. It works out now. I think so. Exactly. But, you know, it's funny. Uh, People are always like, you know, it's so hard being a woman in tech and, you know... It's actually really, really freaking hard being a woman in entertainment. (laughs) I just like, I have to say, being one of 500,000 or probably more like 3 million actresses in LA Mm. is actually really hard. That's what's really hard. The competition there is insane. Being a woman in tech has challenges, 
but it certainly does. And I wouldn't downplay it. And I've certainly come up with some interesting challenges that I probably won't go into here, but uh, that most women should not have to deal with. Yeah. However, I wouldn't say it's hard. I think that's absurdity. Like, absolutely not. No. What are some of the... I mean, I, I found it to be great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There are... I find that I hit barriers because I was an actress specifically. And sure. maybe also a woman. That it's a compounded thing maybe. But, you know, when you Google me, and this is no fault of anyone's but our own prejudices as a society, but you Google me, you see I'm a chick, and, oh, I was an actress. Like, I would judge myself. I'd be like, there's no way she can code. Well, guess what? I kind of can. And I'm much more technical than the average Joe, yeah. man or a woman. You know, architected my platform. I wireframed it out. It was my idea. I solo co-founded a technical platform. I don't think that that's people's immediately, you know, that's not what they jump to when they would see right. this actress, girl, whatever picture. However, you know, as a, a woman who is maybe on a, a scale so, somewhat attractive, I think that you have to acknowledge like that actually also has benefits. Mm -hmm. Potentially you get more meetings, you know, and this is, these are all just things that as individuals who look and see, we all have different characteristics and we will all have different experiences. Yeah. And certainly I do resent it when, yes, I get asked on a lot of dates and I have to spend a lot more time trying to suss out whether the meeting is about business or not. Sure. But again, I think in the end, it probably all balances out. That's a good way of looking at it. And it sounds like, it, it sounds like you, you've really taken your differences and turn them into some of your greatest strengths. You know, when I, when I kind of well, look at, they are, right? when I look yeah. at your bio and your previous history, it's clear that some of those things have given you a leg up in the yeah. tech world. Are there any specific skills that you feel you got from maybe not even necessarily being hmm. a woman, but more being a woman in the entertainment industry and taking that into the tech world? Well, I would say just male or female aside, definitely being in entertainment. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the most difficult things about tech is is making it human and compelling. <laughs> it means hard, right? Yeah. I think that, you know, I started winning the hackathons not only because I started having better ideas and became more technical and more technically able. Yep. It was because I could tell a good story. And I hope that that doesn't sound at all arrogant, but it's just because I freaking went to school for it for four years right. and trained in telling a story. So I better have some skills there in that department. I don't know... You know, in tech, we don't really have that. We don't train CEOs to tell stories. And fortunately for me, I had it nailed into me, like, boom, like drilled in, you know. Can you share maybe some of the tactics or strategies that uh -huh. you learn in the entertainment world for storytelling? I Yeah, I feel like I should be able to do that. Well, I'm sure yeah. a lot of it's just ingrained in you, right? I, I imagine that if you've been doing it since you were a kid, it might even be hard for you because right. you haven't been necessarily teaching Interesting. The entertainment world. I but. haven't been teaching. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just identifying with things on an emotional level and then mm -hmm. becoming really comfortable with the idea that you're you're presenting the story of your product and it's not necessarily you. So getting over the idea that it's, that it's a personal or uncomfortable thing, right? Sure. One thing I'm very grateful for is I don't ever get nervous. Yep. I don't have stage fright. I don't ever get nervous no matter what. I used to. Yeah. But after I got on stage and did a play a thousand times, like right. that quickly goes away. It's well, doing a, a soap opera is like doing a play thing. every day, right? It actually is, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's one thing I'm really grateful for is like no nerves for the most part. 
and then I don't mind speaking in front of people. I kind of like it. I like like <laughs> seeing who's out here and like having conversations. I love people. Yeah. I'm really interested in, in humans and humanity and how we interact with each other psychologically from all from the acting space. I think in terms of telling a story, you know, you learn beginning, middle, end. You learn about bookends. You learned about how to, you know, maybe accelerate your way through highlight the important even sentences accelerate your way through talk to me about what that means so if you okay so there's two answers to that okay there's accelerating your way through even just a sentence sure and also accelerating your way through a story so if you're talking about maybe your pitch yeah you know maybe you start off in a way that is very striated maybe it's very to the point it's not too fast mm -hmm. you don't want to lose people right but as you go you're building momentum. Okay. Maybe this is also how you raise money. Yeah. You're building momentum, Absolutely. right? And, and, and the more momentum you build, it's like you're snowballing, right? And then you're creating this avalanche where people are so hanging on to every word. They really, really want to hear where the story is going. And then boom, you hit the climax and this is the solution. And then the story is done and you can resolve it. Yeah. I mean, even as you were describing that, I could hear you doing that, you know, speeding up your pace of speech, increasing the volume, right. increasing the pitch. But if you listen to anybody who's a good storyteller, they just do it naturally. And they may right. not even realize what they're doing, but yeah. that's absolutely what it is. And you were trained for that. Yeah, exactly. That's great. And so, so you said one was how you actually go through it, but then the other was maybe more in the way you structure it. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's how you structure things and, and that idea of, you know, thinking about it from a storytelling perspective. And then also, oh, side note, just in terms of tech. Tech is often very... Um, Dry, boring, confusing, right. convoluted. Talk to me about the API. Yeah, right. which, by the way, I'm happy to do and stoked to do. <laughs> right, right, right. And maybe I can actually make it. You're like, I've been waiting for you to ask. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me tell you about our API. It's so awesome. But, you know, to talk about an API, which, by the way, quickly has and is. And, awesome. You know, but to do that in a way that's, like, palatable and, like, makes any sense to normal people is so hard. Right. So... Rather than impressing with jargon and the blah, 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 you know, I think just talking in human mm -hmm. is so important. Yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the things when we talk to our presenters at Verge, we talk about, hey, don't, don't tell me just about the product. Tell me about the person who discovered your product and yeah. it completely changed the way they were approaching what they were doing right. and walk me through that story. And just like you were saying, in terms of the entertainment industry, being able to tell a story with a beginning, middle, and an end, uh, having a protagonist and an antagonist. It's really interesting to hear that you had those skills sort of already ingrained in you. Mm -hmm. And so to just kind of transfer them over, yeah, sure, there's uh, vernacular change. Right. And the, the way we talk about it, there's a ton of industry jargon. Mm -hmm. Was that at all overwhelming or even intimidating at all when Not you were moving into no. the tech industry? No. And, but I also think that's because I grew up in a family where entrepreneurship was like a thing. Like I, sure. I, I grew up with it. And also I just always happened to be really obsessed with like math and business. And I always kind of did that. So I do want to be clear that this is not me saying that I think that, you know, anyone in entertainment can walk off the street and start a tech company. I think that would be disrespectful, frankly, Yeah. similar to how I think that anyone waking up in random, like the middle of nowhere saying, Oh, I want to be an actor. I find that slightly offensive as yeah. somebody who trained for eight years to be a professional actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. However, because of how I grew up and my interests and the speed at which I want to learn things, I drive myself very hard to adapt it quickly. 
What was there anything that you did in particular when you were moving into the tech industry that helped you learn more quickly? I mean, yeah, I just kind of went whole hog. I, I probably took maybe 60 coffee meetings in the period of like oh, wow. four weeks. I met with every You must single... have been very, very hyper during those four I'm weeks. I'm always very hyper. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. 60 but, coffees is your normal intake um, for four weeks. Probably more. <laughs> but I, I wanted to meet with every single person and talk to them about everything about the space. Yeah. To the extent that they would let me because I also understand that me being a noob, like it's kind of annoying. Yeah. So I... Also recognizing that and not wanting to be, again, disrespectful, rude, whatever, but with a genuine curiosity and not wanting anything out of them, but having specific questions and a time limit <laughs> for which I would waste their time or take their time, I think is, is always a good thing to yeah. go in with a specific ask, a specific time frame, and then ask people like, hey, I'm really genuinely interested in this space. Will you come talk to me about this, this, and this for this amount of time? I will come to you and I will buy you coffee. Often you'll get a nice response. Well, that's really good feedback for anyone who's just getting into entrepreneurship or even has been at it for years yeah. and maybe doesn't understand why people are turning down their coffee requests. The The time the time limit is so key. Yeah. I'm sure you probably find that to be true yes. in fundraising mode yes. as well. And I just, honestly, this is a pet peeve for me. Do not ever ask me to come pick my brain. One, it's disgusting. <laughs> right, just the visual. Right, right, I'm like, right, right. oh, zombies or something. I don't know. But also, like, don't, assume that you're going to come sit with me, take an hour of my time and just randomly like prey on my like brain share. Yeah. I, I want to know that if I'm going to allocate like precious time in my work day, which is by the way, just painful, like please try to do a weekend or after hours, but like it's going to be really valuable to you and you have a real ask. Like mm -hmm. you have a specific problem that I can help you untangle. Yeah, absolutely. And then also one of the things that I've, heard a lot of entrepreneurs do and I, even in talking with you and mm -hmm. reviewing what you've done with Clickly is always seeking to add value first. Yeah. Is that something that you found to be helpful as you've gone and brought new members onto the Clickly platform or new businesses onto the platform? Or maybe you could even take me through a pitch for one of the the members of the, the Clickly platform. Yeah, well, I mean, ideally, when I'm pitching those members, I, I feel like I am being helpful because I think our product solves a lot of their problems. Okay. So so let's say, mm -hmm. um, who would be your ideal target client right now? A, a particular persona. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Yes. Okay, so you would want Taylor Swift on, Absolutely. on Clickly. So I'm Taylor Swift. Oh, good. I, I'm not doing a very good impression, but I also okay. didn't spend eight years in acting school. Right. <laughs> so, so use your imagination. I'm Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. Pitch me on Clickly. Okay. Well, I would, I would talk to you about your amazing, first of all, talent, because oh, I'm kind you. of a fan thank girl. <laughs> but then I would talk about her, just these fans who are not only really engaged, they would be with like normal celebrities, but they have a genuine, authentic, like love of Taylor. Yeah. They love her. Oh yeah. Right. So if you have these people who want to be significantly and meaningfully involved in, in your life, mm -hmm. right. They want to be involved. How are you letting them get involved with you, right? Sure. They actually want to buy stuff that is your merch, right? They right. want to do this. They also want to donate to things you believe in, right? So right now I'm, I'm doing mm -hmm. that through my Instagram and my Perfect. Twitter. Exactly. Why would I need anything besides right. those things? Well, so right. So what we would talk about is we would take a look more in depth about the actual conversion rates on those platforms. Mm. And statistically, and I'm sure yours so are I'm better. Swept. I don't know what conversion rates are. Right. So what Keep. we would look at is how many people are actually clicking on those items mm -hmm. and then going through the site, checking out in the shopping cart and coming out the other end with the product. Okay. 
And statistically, and, you, and yours are probably better than most because you're Taylor Swift, but statistically, <laughs> they're very, 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 very low. Yeah. You know, like as low as 0.002%. Yeah, mine are like 0.004. See, doing good. But what if we could make them significantly higher? Yeah. I mean, it's What a great, are the average conversion rates for Clickly? 3.45%. Holy cow. Yeah. 3.45%. So significantly higher, especially for someone with millions and millions of followers. Yeah. So we imagine, you know, 3.45% of a million, you've got a significant chunk of folks coming through. Absolutely. So the idea is we don't only work on just Twitter or just Instagram. We work across 10 different social streams, but also ad buys. So, you know, your team, Taylor, is doing lots of media buying, you know. They're also promoting to these same exact fans and followers, right? Exactly. So once you get them to engage in any Clickly post anywhere, they're literally one touch away from buying any of your stuff anywhere or donating to your cause anywhere in emails that you send them and ads that you promote to them or in posts that they see. That's great. Cool. Well, so a couple of the things I heard there, so this is me, Matt Hunkler again. You're back. I know, Hi, Matt. I, yeah, High yeah, five. Yeah, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you felt that. No, it's so, a masculine I'm change. Out, out of character now. Got it. One of the first things I heard was mm-hmm. you you talked about, you know, Taylor Swift and mm-hmm. just how much of an impact she was making. Right. You kind of focused on the rapport building mm-hmm. aspect before even getting into the pitch. One yeah. of the other things I heard you do was talk through, not just from Taylor's point of view, but from the fan's point of view. Right is who Taylor cares about. Right. So I really like that pitch. I think that was really, oh, cool. really effective. When, and I'm, I'm, I know you know this, which is why it's your pitch. Clearly it's working for Clickly. Talk to me a little bit about some of the progress you've made here more recently. Yeah. Well, this week we are actually actively interfacing with Eminem's team, which is really cool. That's awesome. The rapper, not the, not the candy. Right. Although the candy would be good too. Let's do both. I've noticed there's a lot of Eminem that plays on the radio out here yeah. uh, in LA. Like way more than any other cities I've been to recently. You know what? He's super popular. Oh, for sure. And well, so congrats. That's big. Yeah, it is big. And with Southpaw that just came out, that's okay. a really big, you know, he produced sure. and all his, his music's in it. You know, and so he's just a really, really fascinating artist because not only is he, you know, one of the, arguably the world's biggest rappers ever, yeah. but he also is incredibly philanthropic. So it's really cool because we can do things like, you know, sure, sell merch, but we can also do things like, hey, let's enter to win um, some piece of merch from the movie that he's signed. Yeah. Right? And not even enter to win, donate to win. That's that's the key here. Absolutely. So he can drive revenue for like a good cause that's so through cool. his persona and we can do it in really short instant buying mm-hmm. or instant donation, you know, functionality. And the reason that's important is frankly just because, you know, most recently, I think the stat on Twitter says people have a, a 2.8 second attention span on average. Yeah. That's just... That seems high even. <laughs> I know. It's like, I don't know if mine's uh, even yeah, that high. I don't know high, if mine's that high. But... I'm skimming everything. But, but right? Like, and, and I experience this, and I don't even think I'm the worst probably out there, but, you know, I'll be on my phone scrolling through, and I'll be like, that looks awesome. I'm going to buy it. I'll click to go get it. And then I'm like, oh, what, what, what? Or someone calls, you know... I'm I'm gone. Yeah. And 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 it's frustrating because genuinely want to buy it. Yeah. Really want to be a part of whoever it is. Taylor Swift, sure, I do love her. But like even if it's a brand like MeUndies, I love them. You know, I and, do too. and I, I'm actually wearing a pair right now. Maybe TMI. But I'm a, I'm a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. And I genuinely sometimes like I'm like I'm in an underwear buying mood. I would buy these right now. Yep. Like boom, but then it's too difficult. But if I could indicate intent, 
and they could just take my money and ship it to me. That's what I've always wanted. Yeah. So, I mean, I created quickly for myself, basically. Oh, that's awesome. But I want to be able to do that in my ads, in the emails they send me. Sure. I'm so tired of going through extra steps. It's very frustrating. <laughs> well, I can hear the frustration <laughs> uh, in your voice. And, and I love that you are passionate and animated about your company. And it's cool to hear that you've had all this progress uh, more recently. I would love to learn a little bit more about some of the resources you had to gather to build quickly to the point is I've had a chance to meet some of your team here in the office here in Venice. But talk to me a little bit about some of the early resources you needed to build the product. Did you raise money right off the bat? No, not at all. And and it's so funny looking back. I'm like, I have no idea how I did that and if anyone had told me how hard it was I might have just like been oh my god ignorance is bliss isn't ignorance it? is bliss and I just <laughs> sat out as I typically do with blind faith that it was absolutely gonna work and I never doubted myself and I just did it and it kind of happened which is great thank god <laughs> and so seemingly that kind of works I think had I to do it again I would perhaps do a lot of market testing first. Okay. Thank goodness it did work. Um, <laughs> you know, we did build a prototype, made sure that the actual technology would would take. Sure. And I did some market testing in that I went to, you know, my contacts in entertainment and said, hi, here's what I'm thinking about building. You know, would you be interested in using this? Yep. And they, uh, I said, absolutely, we want this very badly. So that was, a, you, know, m- you know, enough, I guess, market feedback to know this was worth doing. But I would get a little more scientific about it. But... <laughs> You know, yeah. you want to do you want to do your polls. You want to do your research. You want to actually. Well, I'm sure you're doing it. that now as you add new, oh, yeah. new features. I'm just and saying, you've... starting out as a, as an early entrepreneur, sure. you do want to do what lean testing you can. And I am actually a big believer in, you know, the lean startup model is is very important. It's a great framework. It's a great framework. But there are a lot of companies that have started and have been successful that didn't start out of the gates with it. And maybe if they had, they wouldn't mm. be where they are. Totally agree. I think it's a really cool way to start and to test once you have a firm like, hey, this is kind of our thesis of what we're going to do here and we're seeing some amount of traction. Yeah. I think then you get creative with it, right? Like we chose not to onboard mom and pop shops down the street because once we saw that it would work, for us, the sales cycle is roughly the same to onboard someone very large. And since we can, we're trying to do that. Well, you're in a good place to do that. Too, exactly. And we're in time. LA and we have those resources. So that's one unique thing that does set us apart. Yeah, that's great. So so you built the initial platform and kind of scrapped it together for, for lack of a better verb. And I'm sure that there was a lot of intentionality in it. You mentioned that you created the wireframes yourself and helped put that prototype together. Yeah. So what I would say, I mean, if... if I kind of want to break this down in case there's early entrepreneurs yeah. kind of listening break for advice. Break it down for me. So what we did was we built an MVP, minimal viable product, right? Yep. So the idea here is you want to build the most scrappy basic thing you possibly can to just test that your idea will like work. Yeah. One that'll work and two that people will use it, right? Sure. So we did that first. Okay. By the way, that platform does not exist anymore. Scrapped it entirely, started from scratch in a completely different language. Yep. That was a Ruby on Rails thing that we killed. We now have a node platform that's beautiful and we went greenfield. It lives over here, right? Awesome. So I think you should expect to maybe do that and that's fine. Yeah. So was there any sort of like anxiety with letting go of the old code base or was that something that was kind of like pretty easy to be like, listen, this has been buggy. 
It was like a little bit of relief, but also I had put in some hard-earned money in there, right? Yeah, I can so, relate to that. I've, I've had to do that on a number of occasions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. And so, I mean, the, the early days were not easy at all. I was kind of scrapping by. Like I had a, like probably a hundred like, advisors. <laughs> oh, wow. Right? Not, not really a hundred. Okay. But, you know, it was more like, what it, can I gather a group of people who believe in me mm-hmm. enough to where they will give me maybe an hour or two for free every month? Yeah. And I did. And that group was huge. That's great. And it was great because my advisory board was not at first um, anything other than people just agreeing to help yeah. and give me an eye. And and I was like, this is amazing. So that is literally how I built for the first couple months was just people like helping. And it was really cool. That's and huge. I never had, yeah, because I mean, they're just, it's votes of confidence for you mm-hmm. and your vision. Yep. And it's great too because it's a testing ground. If you can't get that, maybe don't make your idea. <laughs> Well, it's it's kind of a key characteristic of an entrepreneur yeah. is can you get people to buy in, right. to put in time? Obviously, you want to pay people when you can pay people. But if you can't get people to contribute yeah. some amount of energy or effort mm-hmm. without being paid for their time in the early days. Oh, you shouldn't be doing it. You shouldn't Absolutely. do it in, in the long term. I think that, and I wouldn't get too crazy with this, but I think to some extent, there should be some amount of sweat equity without pay because if people are getting paid you actually don't know how invested they are right that's a really good point but only to a very slight extent i uh, when possible i would like people not to be you know bleeding money working on their project (laughs) that's good that's good i'm sure the team here is is happy to hear that too so talk to me a little bit about the funding when did the funding come in when did you know that you wanted to go raise funding did you need it? Well, we had to. Sort of, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to build, so to build the actual platform that wasn't an MVP, you know, shaky prototype, mm-hmm. we actually had to go rebuild yeah. and go greenfield. Are you comfortable sharing how much you raise? Uh, we don't usually, sure. but we did raise a small um, early seed yep. in January okay. to kind of do that. And we were really stoked because it came in quite quickly. I'm kind of in that scenario I was mentioning to you earlier. Yeah. What kind of investors did you raise from there? Were they here in the Los Angeles area? Both. Okay. Both, Bo- both so we, inside and outside. Yeah, some in LA and then some not. And we, we raised from one fund that typically invests mostly in Israeli tech companies, okay. which, as you know, have just absolutely yeah. top tier. Killing it. Yep. Some other folks out of um, out of New York and then uh, another angel who's very prominently in the space here. Okay. So it wasn't a huge round in that we only got about three, four people involved, mm-hmm. but plenty to get us where we need yeah. to go. So we're really grateful to them and they're wonderful like i can't stress enough you know people talk about like strategic money and smart money and all this stuff very important sure also really important like good money kind money you know talk, if you talk can to me get, about that i will if you can get strategic money you absolutely should but also you know if there's money to be had just like take it unless it's from awful people and so that's the real line i'm trying to kind of draw in the sand is like there are people who are just not worth your time yeah their money is not worth your time right and you should not take money from them or <laughs> even entertain conversations because those conversations will go six months down the track and end up with unpleasant discussion about terms which then you know if you employ any kind of attorney who's worth their salt the attorney will go to them and be like i'm sorry what <laughs> <laughs> do you know our firm, you know, here dealing, you know, those kind of conversations where yeah. it's suddenly like, oh, what, what are the terms that you guys have in your head? What because did you try to sneak in there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just not worth it. So you really want to look for, yes, strategic money when you can, but 
maybe when you can't just great people that believe in you and are your cheerleaders, because that's super value early, early, early on. Was it hard to get that initial money or was it kind of a no brainer by the time you got to that, that first round, who, first who those people round would be? was not terribly hard. Uh-huh. It wasn't, um, it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. Yeah. I'll just say that. Yeah. That's yeah, good. Because, um, you know, our idea is it, it's very palatable to a lot of people. Yeah. I think it makes sense. It's very intuitive. Totally. You know, I think the key now is just proving out market share at this point. And so, you know, maybe if that does or doesn't happen, maybe that'll be more of a conversation. But yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Well, congrats on doing that. And mm-hmm. uh, I know you have some some big goals for this year as well yeah. that you've already hit some and mm-hmm. and are looking to achieve some others. But as you go through that process and kind of look back at how far you've come through quickly, what are some of the bigger lessons that you've learned that maybe almost has some closing thoughts that you would want to share with a tech entrepreneur, uh, maybe even starting outside of Silicon Valley, uh, you know, because you have a really unique perspective there starting here in, in Silicon Beach. Yeah. And I don't think that it's necessary necessarily to start in Silicon Valley. I mean, certainly know where you're starting maybe. Yeah. You know, we intentionally started the company we did in LA because it's LA. Yeah. Because the brands are here, because the influencers are here, because we're here. Yeah. And maybe so do something that fits the market you're in. I think that makes good sense. Mm-hmm. The second thing I would say, and there's gonna be three, the <laughs> second thing I would say is similar to what I said earlier of us, we decided not to start kind of long tail. We decided to go straight for like, you know, the most kind of best of brand, most cachet folks we could because they're here. We have access to them. So why not? So, you know, some of those unwritten rules, entrepreneurs are like, we're going to work our way through the top and we're going to bust our butts and we're going to scrap. I mean, like, yes, if you have to, but if you don't, don't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if it makes sense for your model to go, you know, knock on the door or or look at your LinkedIn to find a strong, viable, real connection to someone who is big and you're at a stage that it makes sense and is appropriate to approach those people. Do that. Yeah. Because, you know, maybe it'll take the same amount of time as onboarding some local, I don't know, supermarket or whatever. Right. And then the third thing is, you know, I think a lot of everything should just be numbers based. <laughs> and okay. that's something I'm, I'm really coming to, to learn. Like well, that's very anti entertainment so, industry. Yeah, it really is. And I think that maybe that could just be something for people, especially in LA, <laughs> sure. but, uh, but people are like, Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this. And it's like, okay, show me the scoreboard. <laughs> Where's your spreadsheet? Break it down for me. You know, how does that work? Where are the conversion rates falling? What's your user acquisition cost? What's your client acquisition cost? And where does that fall? Mm-hmm. And but when you do that and everything is numbers based and you can just point to numbers and say, hey, this is an opinion. This is just how things are. This is just the formula. So you take a look. Let me know what you think. You're not even selling anymore. You're not selling to investors. You're not selling to brands. You're just like, well, this is how it happens. So have fun with this formula. Right. This is for you to play with. That's great. And it's great because it takes all the pressure off. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. I'm really, really excited about what you're doing with Clickly. Thanks. If people want to find out more about you and find out more about Clickly, where do they go? Yes. They go to our website, clickly.com. Okay. Better yet, they can go on Twitter or Instagram, but it's at Clickly Team. Okay. And Clickly is, of course, with a K. And I myself am at Cooper Harris. Awesome. Well, I'm sure people will follow you there and uh, definitely leave some comments. Will do. Down below for, for Cooper Harris, and uh, maybe she'll get back to you. I will, for sure. Cool. I'll hold awesome. you to it. Thanks, Cooper. Thank you. 
This conversation with Cooper Harris had so many great insights, and I really enjoyed sitting down with her in her offices there in Los Angeles. How she's trying to tackle this big opportunity of influencer marketing is so inspiring and has so much potential, and it's cool to hear how she's building prototypes, testing them out, finding traction, and doubling down where she's finding that traction. I'm excited because I'm sitting in the same room right now with Nick Wangler, who's a partner at Developer Town, and of course, our partners here on the Powder Keg podcast. And this is a big piece of the startup journey that Developer Town helps brands with, is this prototyping, getting traction, making sure that it is a viable product before taking it to market and spending all these marketing dollars on, on something that maybe hasn't been fully vetted yet. And so Nick is here and has another story that we're going to share with you here in just a second. So Nick, what are we about to listen to? Yeah, so we're about to listen to Matthew Anderson, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Mavenly. And Mavenly really helps brands build brand ambassador programs. So think authentically, organically, start growing relationships with real users of their product. And so for us at Developer Town, we're, we're trying to help big companies move like a startup, which means go from great idea to product, web or mobile product, in market with traction. And so a big part of that is trying to find the core users, uh, the core mavens, as Mavenly would, would, would call them, early on to get authentic feedback about an idea, about prototypes, about messaging that we're even going to use for marketing and really make those connections early on and start building those relationships. And so we love working with Mavenly on that because then we can help our clients actually launch with customers day one. I'm Matthew Anderson. I'm the founder and CEO of Mavenly. Mavenly is a platform to build, manage, and scale your brand ambassador programs. So we allow you to collect feedback from your target customers and then actually activate them as, as vocal advocates for your brand. So Nick, how has that been helpful with what you're doing on the marketing front here at Developer Town? Uh, I mean, it's crucial. So for, for us, we're working with 100% of our clients are taking an outrageous amount of risk, right? They're either inside of a large company and they see an opportunity in the market and then they're attacking it, or they're an entrepreneur who's starting from scratch, right? And so in all of those cases, there's a hypothesis. There's this concept or this idea about there's this web or mobile product that should exist, and uh, we strongly believe that that's a thing, right? Whether it's within a big company or, or an entrepreneur, they may be right in terms of the vision, but they may, they may be sticky on some of the details of how to actually bring that to life. And so um, what we're able to help them do is actually move like a startup in order to validate that there's a problem there that they're actually solving. To learn more about Developer Town and the awesome work that they're doing, go to developertown.com slash powder keg. You'll not only get a direct line into the developer townies and the brilliant minds there, but you'll also get some free resources on building and launching tech and info products. You can find show notes for this episode at powderkeg.co and be sure to hop on our email list there. We're releasing tons of bonus footage, some how-to guides, and even some bonus interviews but this is only for email list subscribers, so be sure to check it out. We're coming out with new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe on iTunes or at our handy link that is powderkeg.co slash iTunes. 
Thanks again to everyone who shared an episode of Powder Keg, subscribed to us on iTunes, or left us a review. It's the only way we're going to spread this message and reach new people, and we couldn't do it without you. So until next time, we'll see you in the next episode of Powder Keg. Powder Keg.